do a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, hello, it's Ben Waddington again uh, with another Resleeves podcast. Uh, today I'm interested in the um, CDR label uh, RHP, and the RH in RHP stands for Ryan Hughes, who's with me uh, this morning in Leamington. Uh, Ryan, how, I, I always struggle when I'm doing the introduction to describe accurately what people's uh, actual role is. So how would you describe yourself in, in this uh, particular context? Okay. Um, it's a funny position that I occupy. Um, I guess effectively it's artist curator. Um, in various instances that occupies being a designer or even someone working in marketing. This, um, this label is entirely your own creation, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, the, it is, the, yeah. the, What does the P stand for, by the way, in RHP? It's, it's very weak, it's projects. Projects, no, that's good, I like so projects. Ryan projects. projects. Yeah, it feels like it's an open-ended thing, you, you haven't... Uh, <laughs> uh, I've noticed a lot of design uh, companies or uh, artist establishments using projects in the last few years rather than um, enterprises or uh, galleries or studios. Yeah, Projects yeah. seems to encompass uh, more options. Anyway, that's, uh, it's all yours. You, uh, what I understand from it anyway is that the, um, I mean, the, the, the purpose of the Reesleeves project is the elements that surround the music. So this is not your music, but music that's come your way, uh, people that you've identified as being interested. Or do they, do they come to you, or do you, uh, do, do you do the selection of the people who are, or is it a kind of a two-way? Yeah, thing? there's been a real mixture. So the first maybe three months, um, just trying to establish the project, I invited people that I was already interested in working with. Um, and then through that, I started to receive demos. Um, as I was going to gigs or performances, I came across people that I wanted to work with. So I, it's been this combination of people approaching me and me approaching people. And what form? I'm interested in demos. We did a, um, a podcast uh, a few months ago about just about uh, demos from the... It must have been late 80s, early 90s, and it was exclusively tape demos, and they all had their own particular kind of um, identity within the format of a cassette uh, shell. Well, it's interesting because I wonder if any of those demos did come your way in the form of a, a cassette, uh, <laughs> in a kind of ironic postmodern uh, form to catch your attention. I think uh, it's certainly in music industry that's over forever, but is it? Well, so what, what form did those demos? I'm just curious what form those demos arrived. There have been cassettes. Yeah, excellent. There's been floppy disks, oh, wow. uh, memory sticks, uh, CDs. Most frequently it is an MP3 with uh, quite often a fairly crappy JPEG. Um, but I, I think that, that crappy JPEG can be quite a beautiful thing uh, in, it, in its own right if used well. So... Uh, that's definitely something I'm interested in when receiving demos or selecting people to work with. There's got to be this. Uh, so they, they've got to understand your aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. But as well as that, they have to understand what they're doing themselves. Yeah. And uh, is, is that what you're looking for, for a successful kind of... Uh, if you're going to, do you actually have a contract? Do you uh, sign these people up for a specific <laughs> business uh, um, 
set of uh, you know, protocol or whatever, or is it just you put it out and let's go with it? There's no contract as such. Oh, okay. uh, there's a framework I offer um, in which there's a, a monetary exchange. So artists take 75% of uh, sales profits. That's about as close to a contract as it yeah, is. It's, sure. it's very much like a sort of fair exchange, uh, collaborative process. And you're identifying something before that happens, which is, uh, it's, it's uh, I think, the, yeah, a big element. I mean, maybe this is what the various artists kind of recognize, that you are beyond a music label, that uh, there is this extra element that they have, you know, Maybe not have to, but if they incorporate a visual aspect to their music, um, then they're more likely to get uh, <laughs> get the deal, if you like. Yeah, sure. So let's uh, let's work our way through some of these. Uh, I've just had a, a look around the exhibition. Uh, it's in Leamington, and the uh, address is on Althorp Street. And the name of the gallery, you might have to remind me, the uh, Althorp Gallery. So it's Althorp Studios and Gallery. And um, there's an exhibition on running this week. It opened this week, wasn't it? Yeah, it opened Monday the 2nd. It's running to Sunday the 8th. Excellent. Okay, so let's, uh, let's um, talk about some of the things that are uh, on display here in the, um, in the exhibition. So we may as well do this chronologically. I think that makes sense. So yeah. starting with uh, RHP uh, 001, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what we're seeing with uh, Pete Wiseman's... Um, yeah, sure. CDR. Um, so, OI1 was the first one back in January of this year. Um, this was really early in the, the sort of my thinking about the project, so I wasn't actually sure what it was going to be. So I, I started out just asking Pete for for visual uh, a visual image for like an album cover. Um, in this case, that happened to be a, a super close-up photograph of water, um, which was a black and white photograph that was printed on like a blue card. Um, and then I asked him for, for some music. So at this point, had you established what your visual identity was going to be? One thing I've noticed, I've got three of your CDRs now. And one thing I've noticed is that the actual CDR itself is, never seems to have anything printed onto it. It's always uh, um, a white disc. Is that true of, uh, of all the others? I haven't closely looked at them. That is, yeah, that's... Straight away from a, um, a traditional design perspective, I'm, uh, what I thought was these are going to get mixed up mm -hmm. at some point. Is, is, is it intentional that there's this... Uh, um, well, this is this is how I started asking the questions. How did you see these at this earliest stage? Was there a, a plan for the look of what the series of uh, CDRs would? Uh, yeah, yeah, there, there sort of was that. I've got these interests that go back through sort of musical history. So I, I, I loved those early white labels, like the twelve-inch like dance music. But yeah, you, you didn't know what it was, uh, and that's like a really charming thing. Um, but also, I've got this sort of ongoing interest in uh, in minimalism, both sonically and aesthetically. Um, so, so the white discs are sort of interesting in that respect. Uh, 
is actually a bit of a nightmare in the studio yeah, when I'm actually I, putting these I things th together. I thought this, this is going to, um, you know, even me at home with my three discs listening to them um, um, and then actually playing them and thinking, well, it's, it's happened to me before uh, to, to confuse it. I think it's a standard with Swan's design is that you'll get this beautiful packaging uh, for the CDs anyway, uh, beautiful packaging and uh, um, either a totally black or white CD with uh, nearly no text on it, or probably mm -hmm. no text in, in some cases. But uh, putting them back in the right uh, uh, sleeve afterwards can be a challenge. So uh, yeah, this is something that I anticipated, but it's, it, it, this sets it apart from being a music industry dis uh, uh, label with a, a particular kind of agenda to sell lots of records yeah, yeah, yeah. as smoothly as possible. But uh, I mean, I, I guess you're trying to introduce elements of, um, yeah, the, the, the way that um, music has been uh, um, produced and uh, it, um, not so much produced from, from the, you know, the sonic level, but how it's been produced, uh, arriving with, with people. And the whole business of the white labels. I mean, what is this? What is? Do you do you know much about the the uh, the background of what the white label actually represented in terms of why why doesn't it have a label? What uh, why was it so sought after? Well, so and, uh, my understanding of it might be sort of quite base, but it just seemed like this real sort of DIY push to to make music as as quickly, affordably, and I guess this as was immediately as possible. I guess this was it that the um, in the world of dance music, a, um, a particular trend has got a shelf life, and after three weeks or something, um, if you if you're still if you're the DJ still playing that uh, crowd pleaser or that particular tune, um, then you might be perceived as being uh, you know uh, behind the trend. Yeah. So yeah, creating these things as the music, I mean this was something that the music industry was never very good at, was that the, um, uh, the, the artists would finish recording their song and it would be a year or more later but by the time they'd actually uh, uh, get it into the shops for, what, for whatever various kind of uh, layers of production, post-production, yeah, design sure. elements and uh, waiting for the, the time to be right. Uh, does that ever, does any element of that ever in, uh, occur in your work that you're actually waiting for the right time for it to uh, <laughs> to go out or is that just wholly um, you know, irrelevant to what the, uh, the strategy is? Well the, the programs worked out like a, more or less a year ahead of, of time so I, I guess that is an element but that's just to, um, to make the most of because it is just me, that's to make the most of my time working with people. It's not any kind of business strategy as such. So should we talk a little bit about the materials involved in um, your uh, CDRs? The first thing um, that strikes me is that there's a, a uniform use of uh, typeface. Mm -hmm. um, what is that typeface? Is that, um, is that uh, Helvetica? It's not, it's Arial. Arial, yeah. All in capitals, and there's a little bit of play. So even within the, uh, it's quite a strict kind of um, label, you know, literally a printed uh, paper label layout. But within that, I think there's been a, a little bit of um, playful arrangement of the typography. Uh, it, and this is entirely your decision, is it? It's entirely your uh, it design. Is, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So it does, is, is that just being playful with a, a particular kind of layout, or does it ever reflect something about the, um, the artists themselves? So uh, I know perhaps Andy Hopkins, which is uh, um, RHP003, you were telling me he was a bit of a one-of-a-kind chap, and his, uh, the lettering associated with his release is a bit kind of mixed up. On different layers, is, does that reflect his <laughs> on the smallest level? Even does that kind of reflect his uh, um, uh, his character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was the first few releases. It, it was just being playful with typography. With Andy's release, I, I saw this opportunity to actually uh, using design to actually comment upon the sort of content of the work. So. The, the O of Hopkins is drifting away from the rest of the word. So it is, it's a very sort of subtle suggestion, a sort of playfulness, but it's definitely there and it's definitely intentional. And in terms of the uh, text inside the little booklet that uh, comes with each release, uh, there's, you've got titles for everything. So is, is that true that the title, or, or perhaps you can tell me, is there a kind of a standard for what uh, information what actual words goes into the uh, into the booklets? No, not at all. Not not all of the releases have a booklet. It, ah. it's down to sort of artist preference. So, um, so you just would you just respond to what they've decided they want to include with yeah, all the yeah, yeah totally. So, it, does everything have a title? I am interested in titles. Do do all the artists provide titles for their tracks? Um. More or less, everybody has. Yeah, okay. Andy Hopkins's titles were, and actually the the insert it is quite an interesting thing. Uh, so he's got an eight-page zine inside his that is uh, fairly text-heavy. So it's the the lyrics from his fifty-seven songs. Um, he did provide titles. They're completely unpronounceable. It's combinations yeah. of triangles and crosses. And little squiggles. And uh, so you haven't been able to incorporate those because there isn't a character set available in Ariel to represent his. Uh, yeah, his sure. Title, I, I, so, I yeah. think when you when you put the disc into iTunes, should you take that method of listening to it? Uh, iTunes does its best to to, to give you an interpretation. Yeah. Um, so. That's interesting then that the lyrics, because this is really old school um, uh, thing to incorporate into the um, into the printed element of a uh, of a of a booklet or a, or a design. Um, has, that, has anyone else done that? Incorporated lyrics, included the lyrics. No, they haven't. In fact, There's a moment on Morton Underwood's release where, where there is singing, but it's all things bright and beautiful, so it's sort of a given that everyone knows the lyrics. And then the only other person to actually use a straightforward vocal has been uh, Smut and, and Musfak when they're working with the, 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 sort of the spoken word and folk traditions. So again, there's this sort of assumption that um, everybody would know would very easily be able to pick up on the, the content of those lyrics. So I'm looking through um, Andy Hopkins' eight-page uh, uh, zine, and I'm thinking, well, I'd like to contact Andy and 
was telling him how much I've enjoyed his uh, booklets. I haven't heard the music. Uh, and I, can't, I don't think I can do it. It's, um, has, has, his, uh, has the label got any um, way of... Ah, well, I think we're going to have to draw blank. So it, I, it, it must be an intentional thing to, to, to leave off the means by which you could uh, um, contact Andy further. Is it a deliberate ploy to... Do you think that's an omission, or do you think that's uh, a deliberate ploy to appear um, um, even further out than he, uh, he's already presented himself to us? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I, I produced the content that was flies, yes, yes, so... Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe he didn't mind if, uh, if we weren't able to uh, book a gig with him. Uh, I mean, a, a key thing is that, that I, I do programme events with, with each artist, um, as a sort of album launch. So uh, for Andy, we did an exhibition actually in the space at Althorpe that we're in now, um, where there was a, a fairly traditional exhibition of his work and he did a performance. So there was this very direct sort of interaction with an audience in that situation. So at that, at that moment you could contact him. And does, does he want people to contact him? Is he interested in uh of public feedback on his work or is he generally just doing his own thing regardless of what people are going to tell him <laughs> uh well he's, he's got exhibitions coming up in glasgow um so I, i'm sure he must be uh, eager for some yeah, kind yeah, of public on engagement some level, yes, yeah, curious minds. the other thing that i've got to bring up um is the the other standard that i've been able to identify anyway is the um the QR code that accompanies, uh, um, is that on each release, the QR code? Because my, my feelings on this, I've never, I've used one once, I think. Mm -hmm. I've used one once, and it required me then to download the thing, and I couldn't get it to work. Yeah. And I don't think in, in the real world I've ever uh, um, seen the thing and scanned it and received my information that way. And what's more, I don't think I've ever seen anyone <laughs> do it. Yet I've seen many of them. Uh, what's your What's your feelings on the QR code? Um, I've got a funny sort of relationship with it. I, I quite like it just as a visual thing. Me too. I think they look great, and I think uh, there's a a lot of fun to be had looking at very closely at the little uh, strange animal-like figures that yeah, <laughs> inadvertently sure. appear in the. And I, I, I'm I'm also thinking ahead to a time when. So I don't think these will last. I think these will disappear. I think maybe uh, they already they've have gone, begun they've to. They've gone. Yeah. So it became very quickly uh, something from almost a timeless thing because uh, uh, no one used them. Uh, they look great. Um, so for it, something to appear, and it's almost like if you're browsing. When I'm browsing uh, record labels, one clue I'm looking for for a very old disc is that it doesn't have the barcode on it, because mm -hmm. that straight away puts it into the 1970s or, or earlier. Yeah. I think it would be the uh, the 80s when those started appearing, and it's just an instant clue. I mean, I think the barcode's still still a standard thing to use. Um, so th this will be a mystery in the future when people see this little grid of um, curious uh, uh, notes and. Uh, do, do people even know what they are now? You know, when people encounter them now, is it a standard uh, for people to understand what they're supposed to do with that, <laughs> uh, with that, that shape? Um, certainly in the future, it will be such a cryptic um, thing. Yeah, sure. And if any, maybe, uh, you know, I'm thinking well ahead into the future and thinking whether 
any of these will actually be scannable. So if you do have the device to scan these things, even if it was 20 years ago, will anything still come up uh, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that relates to that bit of information? Well, I, I think it's an intriguing device, and I'm glad you've included it. <laughs> At first, I see it as a kind of a shorthand for just uh, um, something that needn't be there, just like mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's almost like a lot of companies decide they want an app, yeah. and they don't really know what, why they want one, but they've just heard that uh, <laughs> it's important to have one. So I've seen it as a kind of visual shorthand for that, and, uh, but I, I'm now thinking of it as a different, uh, it's a multi-layered thing. Anyway, uh, good job with um, Andy Hopkins' uh, uh, rather lovely looking uh, release. If we move on to Plurals next, which is your, uh, your fifth release. Yeah, sure. Um, so Plurals was perhaps the, the the simplest release I've actually made. There's no insert. Um, it, it's grey card with a, a black print of a fairly sort of. Uh, what is that? Let me see. Um, this is the great thing. I don't actually know. <laughs> yes, okay. uh, it, it looks like just to describe it a little bit. It looks like some kind of seed pod or a deep sea creature. It seems to have little tentacles. Uh, it looks like something you see out of the window of a deep sea diving um, submarine battle scope. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I've sort of considered it as a, an X-ray of a potato that's growing oh, roots. Oh yes, yeah, indeed, yeah, I can see that. Uh, I've never thought to ask plurals what it is because it's just a, a lovely sort of odd thing. So there's a sense of it sort of branching out into new territory. Gently yeah, yeah, yeah. and underground, uh, a common object, the potato, <laughs> but seen through this entirely different uh, uh, frame. Uh, let's have a look inside. Let's see what uh, what else we can see. We won't. There's very little. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's a nice grade of cardboard, and this this is another thing that I've realised looking more closely at uh, the, the full range of releases, the variety of materials involved. So. Um, the one I was opening, I think it was the, the compilation, and it was made out of tissue paper. Mm -hmm. And I was having trouble getting it passed. So all of the releases are uh, sealed in a, um, a, a, a poly, what, what do you call this stuff? Poly, is that polythene? Uh, cellophane, I believe. Cellophane, yeah. So uh, with a little um, sticky strip. And I was having trouble, even with two hands, getting it past the, the gentle, um, fragile uh, black... Um, uh, tissue paper pass safely past the sticky strip. I was determined not to allow it to tear, but uh, yeah, I became aware that you're using a full range of uh, different papers and card stocks to create all these uh, inlays and so on. Yeah, sure. Um, that's sort of out of uh, the, the the immediacy of the way I work. So, if an artist says they want a, a grey album. Going to go and buy ten different types of grey card and so see what, what works best. How much input do the um, artists actually have then on the the visual? Are they are they kind of giving you a, something like a brief, or are they just giving you visual clues for something that they'd like to see? So I've sort of given them a brief in that I say it can either be this this square format, slightly off square but squarish, or or an A5 format, um, 
I say, if you want to produce an insert, that's fine, we'll do that. Um, and then my only requirement is that on the back, there will be um, a small logo, the QR code that we've discussed, and a catalogue number. And then they're sort of free to work it's within that framework to, yeah, how they like. Yeah, whether that's nothing at all or just a colour or... Uh, yeah, or sure. Excellent. So I, I, um, I like this release. It's uh, a very intriguing one. I think of, of, of all the ones we've seen so far, this is perhaps the most immediately intriguing. So congrats there, Mike. Uh, should we talk about... Uh, well, it's actually today, so um, uh, the Margaret Street Fine Art Collective, MISFAC, have got a, a release immediately. I'm looking at uh, uh, what seems to be the anarchist colours, the anarchist flag, which is a big element of their uh, aesthetic. Um, should we open this up and have a look at uh, yeah, sure. what's inside? So this is actually the, the first album that I designed myself. Um, I only felt comfortable doing that because I've worked so extensively with Musfak over the past sort of five years. And so I, I said I'd like to design this. Uh, I sort of proposed that I would, I would just do this uh, diagonally dissected mm -hmm. black print on a red card. It does fit with, the, with their aesthetic, and they were very happy for me to do that. Um, so then if we open it up, it's uh, actually two discs both of which are white and for the first time actually, for the only time actually, they're not just completely white. There's a, a number one written on one and a number two written on the other. So you definitely don't want these discs to get mixed up, is that the, is that the intention? Well, um, it's just that uh, the two discs contain different things. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> yes. it, 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 it was just for sort of some kind of audience sort of clarity. Yeah, to make it apparent that we are looking at a, a double disc cassette. Yeah. And is, is that the end of the design uh, element? Oh, there's an extra thing. There are things on the back. So it says um, Trove, uh, I know them. And uh, what's the, the extra little square so showing on That's a, a sort of logo that Musfak have used on it's perhaps not a logo. It, I believe it came from a lino cut they made. Um, it's been reduced down so small that it's not really legible, actually. But it, it's a three-headed dog. Oh yeah, okay. I can see that. Yeah. And there are. I've referred back to the um, uh, outer labelling, and there are one or two extra little clues. I'm interested in every detail of. Um, well, I think in, in a case like this, where there's so. Um, minimalist an approach that uh, when there is some information it, it draws your attention yeah, sure. and here they, they, they included uh, uh, many means to uh, to get in touch oh but this is for this isn't for them though is it this isn't to get in touch with um, Mesfak this is um, for your ah now you is this the first time you've included your um, uh, website on the on the label um have some of the others already. I, I think it, it probably was the first time and I felt comfortable doing it because Musfak are, are a big part of their practice is dialogue and um, looking at ways to work with people and to communicate with people so um, by including uh, the RHPCDR's uh, blog address uh, Trove's website address 
the Musfak blog address. Uh, it, it's it's allowing this sort of uh, interesting dialogue to continue through the CD. Um, yeah, so that's very interesting, actually. That um, uh, I mean, are, are you kind of saying then that with the other artists, it's up to them to uh, to make the connections or to specifically request that means of uh, um, allowing uh, um, uh, I suppose the sort of online uh, means of connection. Have you identified in their work that uh, in, in Miss um, Fank's work that because they are interested in having a, a greater dialogue or uh, I suppose spreading a message really is mm -hmm. their, their thing um, that you haven't recognised in the other artists is, is, is that the is that is that the reason for it um, you know the contact details are not appearing in some way maybe. Um. It just kind of felt like this was the it right moment the right, to, yeah, to yeah, introduce yeah, sure. that, yeah. and it is something that I've I've continued on since that, so that there has been this sort of steady evolution, where one thing might feel right ah, initially, yeah. but then okay. it has carried on through to other releases as well. Yeah, excellent. Let's let's turn our attention to. Um, I guess it must be number nine. Uh, number ten. Number ten. And it's uh, Spartfit, who is a. Uh, a Dutch artist. There's um, copies missing. It's it's disc. Excellent. I, I think I know <laughs> what it looks like. I'm anticipating. Well, the, the, there was a slight deviation in ah. this one again. It actually. Um, so his release is it's an eight-page zine. Uh, in slotted into the back page was a plain white disc, but in its own individualized white uh, see-through cellophane sleeve. And what was uh, what what was the individualized element to that uh, to that sleeve? Oh no no sorry, it's just in that it wasn't actually attached to the the. Oh the I see yeah I see what so, you're saying. Yeah. So what are some of the other visual things that we're seeing in this? Um, this uh, could you describe something about the um, maybe not the, the the musical content, but uh, the the actual kind of performance style or what it is that. Uh, um, how do you say this? Svart fit actually presents himself. Yeah, sure. So um, the, the performance element is, is rooted in uh, that 70s and 80s sort of uh, very sort of bodily performance. It's really interesting Viennese actionism. Um, and then the, the zine itself adopts this real cut and paste sort of photocopy aesthetic. That uh, I guess has sort of evolved from what uh, Crass were doing um, with their publications, and has then obviously uh, proliferated through like a, like the zine subculture. So, what actually is he doing in these uh, these images? Some of the, the the photographs, black and white photographs, I'm looking at look almost like um, uh, crime scene. Uh, um, Images, or it's very difficult to actually work out. There's human elements in them, mm -hmm. and it does seem like there's a lot of kind of uh, 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 liquid. Let's say <laughs> I don't know what we're seeing exactly. Uh, so there might be like a, 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 a looking at an image of um, uh, some um, pair of feet that seem to be a wash. It's almost like a Christ-like crucifixion image. Uh, is that what's happening in this uh, this picture? Do you 
we're actually seeing. There are a few extra clues I've noticed, um, some handwritten um, notes uh, accompanying the collage as well that might give a few more clues as to what we're actually uh, looking at. Uh, again, uh, I, I left it completely up to him yes, to, to produce okay. his visuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I've not wanted to press him for, no. <laughs> for what steadfast answers. Yeah, okay. Maybe that's uh, what we're looking at next here. And all sorts of the other, some of the other things that we're seeing in the booklet, some of the other images seem to be like little clusters of stones. Mm -hmm. um, the, kind of a the stones, as I said, he hasn't given me steadfast answers, but I, I can make judgments about the stones from what I know of his work. So uh, he uses stones as an instrument during the performance. Uh, he, he contact mics up his saw, and he plays a, a range of stones as a almost as a, he uses the saw as a bow and, and stone as, I guess, what would be a violin. That's quite a, certainly not how he would describe it, but to try to explain that process that he goes through. So he, he draws the saw back and forth across stone um, and then runs that through various effects pedals. Um, so that I think the stone is this ongoing uh, object and image that he uses. And then there's a lot of kind of on looking at the cover to the zine, um, no text, a, a shadowy image of the stone itself, and uh, some big square monolithic dark slabs, which uh, um, surely must evoke the uh, the nature of the music. And I see your um, your zine has got torn on the sticky bit. It has, yeah. 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 The, the sticky bits have been a, an ongoing problem. So I've actually changed supplier. <laughs> ah, so uh, interesting. So your, your newest uh, releases are in a slightly... Ah, yes, okay. So we're looking at the, the final one in your pile, Brian. We're looking at uh, rebrandism. So what, what number are we up to now in so your sequence? This is number, number 12. 12. And this is the most recent one. In fact, it's not even out yet. It's not even in the shops. It's We've not got an exclusive It's, uh, it's being preview. launched tomorrow at the, at the, the exhibition and festival. Okay, so um, hopefully uh, we'll get the podcast up and uh, people might have the opportunity to plan their way over to... Uh, yeah, to sure. So, uh, no sticky bit no on this one. No sticky bit. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a standard CD plastic sleeve that you can sort of buy off the shelf, um, which makes life easier. Again, uh, a plain white disc. And that's just loosely inserted. It uh, is. Some of them have had a little um, sponge. I don't know what to describe that little nub that the, um, the CD kind of uh, squeezes Amazon over. Amazon quite usefully describes them as a CD fixation hub. Oh, excellent. Yes. So you, you've uh, dropped the fixation uh, hub yeah. uh, element. Okay. And uh, actually, the, the, a lot of the, the releases that have had an insert have been stapled. Um, uh, Rebandisms one hasn't been stapled in any way, so there's five loose sheets, um, which there there is a, a narrative throughout, um, and by being loose sheet, you're you're sort of free to explore ah, that narrative. So, so it doesn't matter if these uh, folded innards actually get mixed up out of order once they've uh, left the uh, the safety of the uh, plastic sleeve. Yeah, sure. Al although they are numbered. 
So, oh, right. So if you did want to get them back into a factory uh, order, then you might not have that option. Yeah. And what are some of the, some of the other text? It's perhaps your smallest um, uh, typeface size yet. It is. Um, so the the body of work itself is um, it's running sort of two courses. So uh, originally the project was called Bandism. Uh, so the, the rebandism is a, a reflection on that project. So there's unreleased live recordings on here. There's remixes um, and sort of re-edits or reproductions of existing work. Uh, the other direction that uh, the current that's running through the work is um, a consideration of Hogarth's Rake's Progress, the, the eight paintings. Hogarth made. Um, and uh, Mike Chavez Dawson, who is sort of the, the, the leading force behind bandism, uh, has sort of considered um, his alter ego, Robin Nature Bold, oh, yeah. um, as, as the rake, Tom Rakeford, in uh, Hogarth's paintings, and has um, explored this narrative. Was it that was present in the paintings through the music and through the release? Excellent. Um, are there any other uh, um, unusual elements? You know, have you introduced any other um, new moments in the design uh, format of this release? I've changed typeface. Yeah. Oh right. Yes. Um, which has. It was beginning to happen with Sparkbit's release, um, so I changed from Ariel to um, to Baskerville. Um, and in fact, there are moments now that I'm working with where these two typefaces begin to meet. Um, so maybe a, a word will be split into into elements of both typeface. And um, what prompted your uh, your decision to switch to Baskerville? Um, it, it's quite a loose relationship to Birmingham. Yes, sure. Um, connection. Obviously, the, yeah, the typeface was designed there. Um, more and more frequently, uh, my projects are taking place there. Uh, so I wanted to, to make some kind of... Uh, a nod to the uh, yeah. heritage of the city there, yes. Yeah. It, it's a bit of a, a shortcut, you know. What I mean is... Um, uh, when I recognise Baskerville around Birmingham, mm -hmm. I have to assume that someone's not only using it for design purposes. And I think st as standard, Baskerville appears uh, throughout the world regularly because it was a well-designed, uh, you know, it had a longevity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I always think that if it's been used in Birmingham, that the design has, has in included it as a, uh, a nod to the heritage of the city as well. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, um, thanks very much for showing us through this uh, pile of uh, CDRs, Ryan. I think uh, there's been uh, some amazing things. And I, I think I, so many things that I wouldn't have got myself just by uh, looking, you know, this really proves that having a, a dialogue opens up, it, it opens up your eyes for one thing. It makes you, it's made me more receptive to being able to see what's there in front of me and, and uh, revise old assumptions that I'd had. So I'm, I'm always uh, keen to have um, a, a direct kind of conversation about the design process. I think it always yields some um, 
unexpected uh, understanding of the the material itself, but also my my perception of it. So I'm just mm -hmm. <laughs> always intrigued in uh, perpetuating that. And this this was just a small selection of Ryan's um, full repertoire. And uh, just th this is your opportunity now to advertise your own uh, uh, bit, Ryan. If you want to include any. Uh, uh, means to contact you, what's the best way to contact you or to find out about the label? Um, we, we've, we've got all social media covered. Uh, the, the one most frequently used is facebook.com uh, slash rhpcdrs. Um, if you want to contact me directly, that's rhpcdrs at gmail.com. Um, or you can come down to Seven Days of Sound Festival which is on until Sunday the 8th. It might be a, a, a dangerous thing to suggest, but are you still open to demos coming your way? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Th this week alone, I've, during the festival, I've been handed six or seven, and I've been emailed several this week as well. And w would you accept things in digital format only, or would, uh, would that s simply be deleted and un unlistened <laughs> to? Uh, I try to listen to everything yeah, that okay. someone gives me. Okay, well, thanks very much then, Ryan. Thank you.